What's up? Hey, what a morning. What a morning. I mean, oh man. If you could tell, it's a bit emotional around here, right? Um, you know, we, we do this job, we do this work. Uh, we are in the trenches against good and evil. We fight it, and pastors aren't above that. Right? The enemy knows. The enemy knows. The enemy tries, and the enemy tries. And Christ be elevated even more, and, and what a morning to be here. I was telling Charlie, I was like, man, it's incredible to, to have you back this morning. Um, it's just a just a... It's just very good, but it's also overwhelming just because of what, as a church, we've been walking through and, and praying for with him. So thank God that he is here. Thank God that he is on the men, and we are gracious and thankful that we serve a good God. Right? Um, so this morning, like, like Charlie mentioned, did, were you aware that there are two Adams? Right? Were you aware that in Genesis, you learned of one Adam, but he was just, he was one of two? Like, well, you're walking here for the first time. Wait a minute, what is this church I'm at? Wait, that's not how the story goes, right? Um, but Paul is taking us today. We're going to jump back into chapter 5, and I want to do something a little different today. I want to sit in this text because it's much, if you sat with this and read this yourself for the first time, it reads like a legal document where you're like, could this have been put in a more easier way to understand, Paul? Right? And so we're going to walk through this, and what I want to do is at the end of that say, okay, what, what was Paul's purpose behind this? In this section, as I was studying, as I was, as I was listening to, to pastors that I listened to, as I was reading theologians that I love to read, uh, the consensus is this. This section is tough. <laughs> the consensus is every pastor that is speaking on this section, it was like four to five week series. Because within this section is a section that many Christians who like to get divisive focus on, because within this section is the idea of the doctrine of original sin. That Adam's sin, what he did in the garden, has been cast down onto all of us, and because of that, we walk with a sense of guilt because of that. And so I'm not going to get in today, because we're here for one week. Uh, we're not going to do a uh, theology section today. Uh, we're not going to get into the battles between Pelagius and Augustine over this. Uh, we're not going to sit in this today. Okay, um, I love to wax uh, theological on things like this, but that's not today. Today, what I want to focus in is first and foremost, what is Paul's overarching focus here? That that is a part of it, but his intention was not to focus in on that. His intention was to contrast what Adam did, comparatively speaking, to what Jesus did. And so we're going to sit in that today, okay? And so what we, when we talk about two Adams, do you understand, let's, let's just walk through this again, that there are two Adams, and that we belong to one of the families of Adams by no choice of our own. And that Adam was the Adam that you come across in Genesis. And that him and Eve were put in the garden. If, and again, just to give a quick overview, especially we have students in here, kids in here that aren't familiar with the story. Or maybe it's your first time and you're not too familiar with it. But that in the garden, God created Adam and created Eve to live in harmony with not only him, but nature and with one another. In a perfect paradise, if you will. And that in there is where the enemy sneaks in, sluices his way in, and tempts Adam and Eve in hopes that they would fall and give in. Because they had one pretty blaring imperative, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You can live here in harmony with one another, just don't do that, right? Just don't give in to that. The enemy comes in, plays on that, says, don't you want to know what God knows? Don't you want to be God-like? 
And in that moment, they say, yeah. And sin floods in. You heard Charlie talk about the ugliness in the Middle East, an ugliness that has been pervasive throughout our world since the beginning of time. The beginning of time, as humanity exists, we love to oppress one another. We love to lord over one another. We love to, with our pride and arrogance, lord it over one another. And that is because of Genesis 3. That is because of the sin that floods in. And because of that day, they're moving forward, there is a, there is a blithe on the face of the earth, and that is sin. Sin is symptomatic, right? There's anger, there's bitterness, there's violence, there's hate. On and on and on you go. Those are the symptoms of a core causation, and that is sin. And because of that sin that flooded in, we all have this thing that is connected to sin that we all face, and that is death. That in the beginning, I believe this wholeheartedly in this perfect paradise, that there wasn't death, there wasn't sin. But because sin floods in, there is now a repercussion of that, and that is death. All of these things are important because of where we're going today when Paul lays all this out. That there are two Adams. There was the first Adam, and then Jesus was a type of Adam, and we're going to talk about that here in a little bit. That in him, there's a grace that abounds and flows down to us. And it is, this, it is a perpetuation of the message that Paul shares in all of Romans, that you have been justified by grace through faith in Jesus. And that this grace does not die. It does not go away. There's no expiration date. I remember a good friend of mine, this isn't a good story, um, a gross story actually. A few years back, I remember when I was working at a church in Louisville, I had a buddy there. And this buddy was house-sitting for a family over Christmas. Man, he loved to work out. He's a fit guy, good-looking dude. Everything he did was about working out, but he's staying at this house in the evenings, and I remember one night we were going over there, and Jordan was his name, and Jordan was like, man, I'm so hungry right now, I'm starving, I'm going to go look what's in the refrigerator. Runs down to the basement, and I don't know if you're like me, I am absolutely have an unhealthy relationship with expiration dates. Anything that, has, that can make me throw up, friends, I'm looking for the expiration date, because here's the thing. You're going to learn about Eric right now. I'd rather take a bullet than throw up. <laughs> Just telling you, if God came to me and said, Eric, here's the deal. You're going to throw up next week. But would you take a bullet in the arm? Give it, shoot now, now. <laughs> I don't, man, guys. I didn't put the photos up here two years ago oh, for around Thanksgiving and Christmas. I was, it was not good. I was like laying in the hallway at my sister's house. My nephews are like, is Eric, Uncle Eric okay? He's just laying on the floor. I'm not even kidding. I'm laying on the floor, not even moving. I, I am the worst, okay? So Jordan runs to the basement. He's coming back up. We're, we're, we're playing games with friends. Everybody's there. Um, he's, no one even thinks about it. He's just chugging away, hammering a yogurt, man. Yeah. See, Jordan's eating it. <laughs> he's eating this yogurt, and... Eats the whole thing, probably about an hour, two hours in. He doesn't look great. He's not feeling so great. And I'm like, Jordan, what's, what's going on, man? What's wrong? He goes, man, my stomach is killing me. I was like, well, was it the yogurt you ate? He goes, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, threw, I mean, I threw it out. I said, did you look at the expiration date? So this was Christmas of 20, was that like 2014? I pulled the yogurt out. I'm like, Jordan, here's the deal, bud. 
That yogurt you just ate, that expired in 2012. And me, man, guys, I, I am the worst in these situations because I just, I'm dying laughing and I'm making it even worse. I'm like, bro, like, what did, oh, I hope you can hang on to this. What did you think was in there? Did you, what do you think the chunky parts were? What'd you think you're eating? Well, they're all the yogurts are like that. I'm like, no, they're not, bud. No joke. That dude, had to, we took him to the ER that night. He's on IVs for two days. Not joking. Like, it was rough. Moral of the story, check your expiration dates, guys. <laughs> oh my gosh. You're gonna laugh because that wasn't even part of my message. I was like, I'm gonna share the Jordan story because we laugh. Because it's the reason I share this, you know me. I, I wanna make people laugh. I do wanna make them laugh. I want them to enjoy and laugh. But the story of that is this: that expiration dates, that so many of us, when we when we think about grace, man, this miraculous um the thing that Christ passed on that we think that, man, is that going to run out? Do, does he have enough grace to cover what I've done? But what if I accept this grace and I still mess up? Does that grace run out? And so today, Paul walks us through a text that talks about this unbelievable grace, but he contrasts it with this darkness, this looming backdrop that none of us can escape. And it was because of the first Adam. And so what we're going to do is we're going to jump into this text. Um, we'll walk through this together. Hopefully you have your Bible, your, your phone with you, and we can read together. Um, I put in the wrong password for my, for my slides here, and I'm going to do this again if that's okay, because I didn't set my phone to not go to sleep. That's, a, that's my own mistake. So here we go. You're going to hear my inner monologue all day. Here we go. <laughs> Romans 5. Let's do this. Paul says, therefore, if you were here last week, you got to hear uh, Austin do, the, do the, the one through 11. And Paul here is saying, therefore, because of that, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. To be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who is a pattern of the one to come. So I'm going to leave it here. That's a lot. Again, legal documents. You see this? You're reading this. You're like, man, what, what is going on here? So Paul, again, the section that I'm in, his focus is contrasting Adam to Jesus, that sin flooded into the world because of a choice that Adam made. Because of this choice that Adam made, none of us have a choice. Because of the choice he made to take a bite of the forbidden fruit, sin flooded in, and thus his offspring, us, all of humanity, now have this causation to the symptoms of sin. And what I believe this to be, and I'm gonna get into all of this, is this sense that I am born into this proclivity for sin, that within me is this, this natural bent towards sin. And sin, again, is that we're doing anything apart from God's direction in our life, doing what we ought to do for our lives, God's direction for our lives. Anything that stands apart of that is a sin. It's a self-centered decision. I say, today, you know, in this situation, God, I'm gonna do my own thing. 
I think my way's better than your way, so I'm going to do my own thing here. They're sitting there. He's saying that is a microcosm of what Adam did was the fall of, uh, there in the garden in chapter 3. Nevertheless, de death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses. What he's talking about here, again, he's talking to a group that understands everything through the law. Okay, well, what about those where the law was passed down years later to Moses? What about those before the law? Was there sin? Paul's saying obviously there was. Death was on the earth. Death was a direct result of sin. He's saying even though there wasn't a law yet, there was still sin and death. Sin was around from the moment Adam took a bite. It's been around ever since. So he's reminding them that the law does not redeem you from that sin. In fact, later on, we're going to come back to it at the end, where he talks about the law made sin even more highlighted. And so let's continue on with this. We're going to read through this some more. But the gift is not like, actually, you know what? Let's do this. I wasn't going to do that. I want to focus on this now. I'm sorry. I'm all over the place. All right? So here is the key to what I said. There's two Adams, okay? Here at the very end, Paul says, as did Adam, who is a pattern of the one to come. Maybe your Bible says a type of the one to come. In theology class, this is called typology. That Adam and Jesus are a type of one another. Adam was the first of a line of a family. He was the first to have an opportunity with God to live in harmony with God and to play a part of God's big plan. That in the garden, he had the opportunity to walk with God, live with God, honor God, but he chose a different path, and in the face of temptation, he failed. And because of that, his descendants now live with sin and death as a, as a result of that. Now Jesus, as Paul refers to him as well as the second Adam, as you heard Charlie talk about that in Corinthians, he is the second Adam. He is the second who is like Adam to come along to get the same situation. Here it is. Jesus is born on the earth like Adam was born similarly. He is to walk on this earth. He will be faced with temptation in the wilderness. The enemy, much like the enemy came to Adam, will come to Jesus he will try to get him to fail and fall, much like the first type. But in this situation, the type of Adam reigns supreme. He defeats the enemy in the wilderness. He does not give in to temptation. He does what Adam was supposed to do but didn't do. And in Jesus, he defeats the enemy in the wilderness. This type is different. This type then goes on to show you how to live, and this type, because he defeated the enemy who did not give in to temptation, because he was perfect, he then goes to the cross for you and me and covers all of sins, past, present, and future. Because of that. And you might say, man, Eric, I'm struggling with this type. Here's the thing. It's, this is super easy, I promise. In fact, if you are a movie fan, in fact, if you are a sci-fi fan, in fact, if you are a Star Wars fan, you'll see this play out. Anakin Skywalker was the first. His son Luke was another type of Anakin Skywalker. Anakin Skywalker was raised up, had the gifts of the force, looked incredible, had all the makings of probably the greatest Jedi to come along. What happens? He's tempted by the dark side. What does he do? All my Star Wars fans in here, like trying to <laughs> shake in heart, hardly holding back, right? <laughs> I want to share. Can I share? He gives in. He blows it, right? 
In fact, because of this choice, he goes on to wipe out essentially all of the Jedi order. Until later, his son comes along, Luke, who is a type of Anakin, who faces the same temptations, but doesn't give in. In fact, George Lucas was interviewed, I thought it was fascinating, that he said, uh, not a lot of people know this, but the themes of episodes four through six, four, five, and six, was the redemption of Anakin Skywalker by his son. Did you ever know that? That's a typology. Another one is I have in my hand an iPhone 11, not the newest, right? Not the newest, okay? But the iPhone 11 is a type of all iPhones that came before, right? We have an iPhone 1 in here, that's impressive. That's impressive. You might have some wealth in your pocket actually there. I was doing it this week. I was, I was sharing, in fact, I was sharing with my son about this when I was talking about typology. He's like, what, uh, Dad, what are you talking about? <laughs> Would you stop doing your, working on your sermons with me? Um, and I got out because I do keep them for the most part. I keep all the old ones that we've had because I just think it's fascinating, the tech. And I laid them all out. There were some iPods. Oh, my gosh. Man, my wife and I were cracking up. We were going through the old iPods we had uh, up to the new. We had an iPhone 3 in there, I think, and a 5. And I laid them all out. I said, these are types. You see, I have 11, and this type is much better than these types. It's new and improved. It's more functional. It has better apps. All of these things we went down. This is a type of the ones before, but it's much better. See, Jesus is a type of Adam. He's the second Adam, but he reverses everything Adam did. Adam brought about sin and death to all of us. But in Jesus, our inheritance in his family is life, freedom, forgiveness, and grace. A grace that never dies. A grace that never expires. And so let's press on through these verses. Paul says, the gift is not like the trespass, for if the many died by the trespass of the one man, again, that's Adam, how much more to God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Because of what Adam did, sin and death spread to many people through one man, but now, because of the sacrifice that Christ made, grace overflows to that many. Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought about justification. We tracking? We following? Yeah? Again, Paul wants to contrast for his audience then and for us now that you have to understand you are connected to Adam by no choice of your own. We are descendants of Adam and the choices he made. And people like to argue about, hey, but I didn't, how am I guilty for his? I'm not saying necessarily you are guilty, but here's the thing. We have ratified the choice he made. Every day, we sin. Romans says all have sinned and fallen short, but we have ratified the decision he made. Like, we sin. This is a reality. That the many have sinned, but the sacrifice of Christ covers all of those. Everyone has access to this family. Everyone has access to the inheritance of the Christ family if they choose to accept. And so I want to follow up. I'm going to walk through these two, and then we're going to sit here for a little bit on what is, what's the purpose behind all this. 
For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more were those who received God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through that one man, Jesus Christ. Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in the condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification in life for all people. You see, he's becoming repetitive. He is repeating this over and over and over because he so desperately wants his listeners to understand the conditions going on here. He wants people to desperately understand the human condition and what you're walking with. He wants you to truly understand as you look to the Middle East, as you look to the, to the alleys in the back, the dark corners and corridors of our world, and you see the ugliness that takes place, he wants you to understand the condemnation and where that comes from. It comes from the sin of Adam and all of us thereafter. Death and destruction, disease, fill in the blanks, is all a symptom of a deeper cause, and that is sin but that we have the opportunity to be released from this condemnation, combination, I can't even talk, right? If we give our lives to this new family in Christ. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase, and we'll talk about that here. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more, so that just as sin reigned in death, so also Grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so that is a lot to walk through. That is a heaviness. You can see why it's multiple weeks. But here's the gist. He wants to compare Adam with Jesus. He wants the crowd and the audience to understand that you're inextricably linked to Adam whether you like that or not. But that you have a choice. That Christ's sacrifice is much greater than Adam's downfall. That if you so choose Christ and this family, your inheritance is forgiveness, grace, righteousness, justification. But you have to make a choice. This piece right here, he talks about the law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. If you remember I was with you not so long ago, we talked about the law. We talked about how the law was so misinterpreted by the followers of God. That the law was given to show how far short we fall. And then it would start this cycle. Man, I can't keep these commands. I can't stay pure. I can't resist sin. And then, okay, here's the sacrificial system that would follow that. Man, I gotta get myself right with God. I gotta make myself right with God. I gotta sacrifice to God to make myself right. But instead, the law became weaponized. The law became a thing that people, again, like I said earlier, used to lord over others. In fact, the law was viewed as like, this is the thing that's going to save me. And Paul says, no. The law was utilized to highlight your sin. And I love the way J.D. Greer puts this. I love this, this illustration he uses to talk about this. He says this, imagine if you were sick with the flu and I gave you these set of rules. You're sick with the flu and here's now the commands. Thou shalt not run a temperature. Thou shalt not have the chills. Thou shalt not sneeze. Thou shalt not have a headache. Thou shalt not feel nauseous. With every command not to have symptoms, I'm just multiplying the ways you fall short. At some point you say, I get it. I can't keep these commands, I'm sick. That was the reason for the law. You are full of sin. Oh, no, I'm good. All right, no other gods before me. Uh-oh. 
Don't lie. Don't murder. Don't covet. Boom, boom, boom. We keep going. That was the reason. It wasn't, hey, this is the thing. This is the vehicle by which I'm going to be saved. No, it's a vehicle by which you are condemned. Right? The law counts sin. It can't correct it. And so Paul's purpose is to lay this out and show you that this, the law, friends, is there to highlight your sin. But here's the deal. There is someone who can fix it. There is no one else who can fix it. There is only one, and that's Jesus Christ. Right? There is only one. And again, I've shared this before, and Paul in this section is contrasting with the bleak, dark background of the world we live in because of sin's reign in this world and death, the darkness, the ugliness. It's much like a Rembrandt painting. Rembrandt was known for his oil paintings where he would contrast the darkness of the background with the foreground brightness, the thing that he wanted you to focus on. I'm doing this out of order right now, but they'll follow along. You see this. I love this picture. And this is kind of what Paul is saying, that the darkness around Christ on the cross is this the sin, the brokenness of the world, essentially the enemy bearing down on him. Because this is the enemy's last stand, this last stand. He thinks he's got him. He thinks he's dead. It's bleak, it's dark, but Jesus knows there is hope, there is grace, there is justification in what he's doing. The focus is on him, this bright shining light in the midst of immense darkness. That three days later, it was the ultimate knockout punch to the enemy. That Jesus knew what he was doing. This, my friends, is the only vehicle to salvation. This is what Paul is saying. This is why Rembrandt would paint such amazing oil paintings, because he would get this. The light in the foreground is Christ's sacrifice for you and me. But to truly understand it, you have to understand the human condition. The words, by, the words by Karl Barth said this, grace is not grace if he that receives it is not under judgment. Righteousness is not righteousness if it be not reckoned to the sinner. And life is not life if it be not life from death. Such good words. I don't know if you are a fan of 17th century poetry. I remember I had to read this in, in high school at my Christian school in Louisville. Um, Paradise Lost, John Melton captures this. Literally, Paradise Lost is like a, a poet, a poem about Romans 5. Paradise Lost, and then years later he would do Paradise Regained. Now look at the words that he uses here. A man's first disobedience and the fruit of that forbidden tree whose mortal taste brought death into the world and all our woe with loss of Eden. That's Paradise, he's saying, Paradise has been lost. Harmony with our Father has been broken. Harmony with nature has been broken. Harmony with one another has been broken. Paradise has been lost till one greater man restore us and regain the blissful, blissful seat. And years later, he would do this one. Paradise regain. I love this. Now thou hast avenged. There it is. Supplanted Adam. And by vanquishing temptation has regained lost paradise. A fairer paradise is founded now for Adam and his chosen sons, whom thou, a savior, art come down to reinstall. We have a better paradise now. And here's the thing. It might not be a paradise you can find physically right now because it's not going to be. The paradise that, you can, be, that can be found now 
is the heart that has been renovated and rejuvenated in Christ. That when you choose to say, hey, the, the man on the cross, I am much like the thief on the cross next to him. I want to give me what you have. How can, I, how can I enter into paradise? Today you'll be with me in paradise. I, I, I give you the grace that is sufficient to cover the trespasses. That when you truly understand this, that when you move about in this world with your relationships and your marriages, with your parents, with your kids, with your coworkers, when you get this, you can play a part in reanimating the darkness and the brokenness around you. You can play a part. But the true paradise is not here until Christ returns. But in the, not, in the meantime, we live as reanimated beings in Christ. Hopefully. That question is, do you live as inheritance of Adam or do you live as inheritance of Christ? And Paul wants everyone to know, you and then back, them back then, it doesn't matter the transgression and the sin. It doesn't matter the background or your backstory. Back it doesn't matter that Christ's sacrifice abounds even more. The grace abounds even more. It covers all things. But that the only cure to the sin and death is Jesus. There's no other way. In fact, he goes over and over throughout all of Romans. It's like he utilizes all these things that people would say are, are, are other vehicles of salvation. The law. Nope, the law is not going to save you. No one else is going to save you. It is just Jesus. That in him, you have been made right. I'll close with this. Fleming Rutledge is an amazing pastor. She's an amazing writer. She's an amazing theologian. And she had these words um, that I was like, man, I got to throw these on the screen. They hit me while I read it. She says this. We are threatened at every turn by disease, crime, loss, accident, intrusion, insanity, terror, what is even worse, we are threatened by condemnation, exposure of what we really are, rejection by those whose love we most need, ultimate abandonment by even God himself. Humanly speaking, this is our inheritance. In Adam, this is our inheritance. Paul says, this is what we have narrowly escaped Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who is our judge, has come to our rescue. He has quite literally appeared on the human scene with divine power to save. It is an unparalleled drama of desperate peril and miraculous deliverance, and it is not only my story, but your story. Paul wants more than anything else in the world for us to recognize our Savior, the one man, Jesus Christ, the one in whom we are liberated once and for all, set on our way, incorporated into the resurrection life of God, transferred from the dominion of death into the dominion of the Messiah and his victory over every evil form. In Christ, sin and death are vanquished. In Christ, you have a new inheritance but first, we have to truly come to grips with the human condition. Everything that is going on in the world, everything that you're fighting against in your everyday life, this isn't about uh, moral relativism. This isn't about the appropriate amount of psychological help I can get. That's great. That is good. But at the core is sin that is pervasive in the world around us. That all those things are good. I, I utilize all of them. But at the core, I understand there's a greater condition that is going on that I need help from and delivery from. 
that I know I need to sit in scripture daily or my mind is gonna go off. I have to sit under him every day through the Spirit's power in me, reminding me, Eric, no, you have to resist the human nature, the Adam side of you. You have to constantly be training yourself in the ways of Christ every day, or I am going to fail each and every day. And, and hear me, I have, many times. I haven't said the right thing at the right moment. There are times I know what I ought to do, but I don't do it. It's like Paul says, why do I do what I know I shouldn't do, and the things I'm supposed to do, I don't do? And that's Paul. In Jesus, there's a new way forward. The whole purpose of this section and the sections before is Paul is saying, you have been justified by grace through faith in Jesus. And in this section, he wants you to understand that the human condition is rooted in Adam and that, that fruit doesn't fall too far from the tree that we have ratified the choices he made. In fact, we even use this term, right? I was thinking about this the other day. Maybe you were in here, your, your parents told you you can't date that person in high school or in college. You can't date her or you can't have that. What do we call that? Have you heard the term? What was the term? Oh, that's like forbidden fruit. What's that mean? It's like, I, I have a grab, I, now I want to date them even more. It's like this bent within us. Even Augustine talked about it. It's fascinating. Him and his group of friends when they were younger. The things they would do that they couldn't explain outside of just sin nature. His group of friends would walk through this apple, apple orchard and knew the local farmer and knew they didn't want anybody to, to eat of the, the fruit of his trees, but they would constantly eat them, throw them, and tear them all up, stomp on them. Why would we do that? It's like we enjoyed that. Like he's like, there's no other reason outside of our sin nature in us. I need a savior. Church, as we wrap up, this is, this is always the focus of what we do, is Christ. But you walk in here, and so many of us, so many of us have multiple bags we carry. Large, small, it doesn't matter. We have so much that we walk with. But the effects of the downfall of our, our ancient fathers and mother, the choices they made, fall to us and the proclivity for us to follow in their footsteps. But that Christ said, even still, while we were what? Still sinners, Christ died. That he wants a relationship with you. He wants you to come into his family. He wants you to take your inheritance. That it is, it's a gift that is so graciously giving. Do you understand how countercultural this idea was then? That in the ancient Greco-Roman world, that gifts were not given to people that didn't deserve it. That gifts were only given to those who were fit for the gift. Or you could return that gift to some degree. Your Father in Heaven says, I am giving you this gift. There's nothing you can do to return it, and you are not fit for it. And he says, but I love you, and that is why I died. I want to have a relationship with you. I want to reanimate your life, and I want you to live for me going forward. But will you choose to be descendants of Christ, or will we live in this reality of our inheritance of Adam? Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for this morning. Dear God, I want to say we thank you. We praise you that our leader has returned. We want to praise you and thank you that he is on the mend. What a morning to be here with him. We thank you for his leadership. We thank you that he has guided Southbrook to the place it has gotten to. We thank you for the staff of this place who have led in his day. We thank you that you continue to pour out your love and grace upon all of us here today. Lord, 
we thank you that you died. And today I pray, Lord, that if it's one person that walks out of here saying, Lord, I want to, I want to throw off the ways of Adam, and I want to cling to the cross of the new Adam, and that is of Christ, Lord, we pray that that person moves and asks questions and talks to someone. We thank you for this morning, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.